dazzling escape. Wow. It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My, my, my Michelle Live. Yes, it is. It's entertainment review. Thank you for hanging out with me. Today on the menu, we're going to go through entertainment news. We've got some true hard-hitting stories about the imperfection of Christians that I think will bless you in the end because aren't we all imperfect? We're going to be talking with the leading expert on C.S. Lewis. He plays C.S. Lewis in The Most Reluctant Convert. Max McLean is going to talk to us about the effect that C.S. Lewis has on our society today. And we will talk with a woman who wrote comedy for Bob Hope. She was a woman in comedy before it was a thing. So some awesome things that we'll be taking on today. But first, some news. Entertainment news. In our news report today, we struggle with LGBTQ issues, how it is being pushed on kids, maybe to the point where it's become quasi-abusive. And kids not knowing who they are, not being beautiful in their own skin unless they have hormone replacement therapy and mutilating their bodies, celebrating who they are, struggling with sexuality, sexual identity. It is a thing in our world. One kid who had identified as queer has found something to believe in that goes beyond his identity struggle. He was at the Kids' Choice Award for Nickelodeon, and this is what he had to say. I'd like to thank my lovely supporters. I'd love to thank the cast and crew of High School Musical, the musical, the series, and I'd love to thank... My Savior, Jesus Christ, I want to say something. There are a lot of people here who are burdened, brokenhearted, and have been beaten down by life. And I'm here to tell you, for those of you who have lost hope, there is a very real God who loves you more than you will ever possibly know, okay? His promise is peace, and my testimony is my healing. Remember, forgive quickly, love freely, and walk courageously. That is courageous in this day and age. Joshua Bassett, that is. And if you don't know who he is, he's been seen on High School Musical, the streaming service on Disney. And he has identified as queer. Uh, But that's not the main identity that he is adhering to right now. It's his identity in Jesus Christ. To get baptized. My name's Joshua, and long story short, I, I grew up Christian, and I ran the other way as far as I could go in pursuit of truth, and that only ended in addiction, depression, gladiation, eating disorders, etc. and no other teacher gave me anywhere near the peace that Jesus Christ did. That's right. That's right. And I'm here to publicly declare him as my Lord and Savior. That's right. So good. He is truth. It's I don't care what you believe, what you vote, the way you vote, what you identify as, who you are attracted to. That doesn't matter to me. You matter to me. And you matter to God. As a matter of fact, all of us, even those who claim to know the truth and have been set free by the truth, 
can be really messed up in a lot of ways and have struggles. The Apostle Paul had what he called a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that was. Was it a physical ailment? Was it a sin that he struggled with? We don't know. But he struggled with it all of his life. And he prayed, God, take this away from me. And God's answer to him was, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. God works through it. He told us in this world we'd have trouble. But Jesus said, don't worry about it. I've overcome the world. We have a hope beyond this world. It leads me to the second story that I wanted to share with you. And that is the story. See, I don't have that one here. It's a story from the hit film, Jesus Revolution. The character in Jesus Jesus Revolution, the lead character, Lonnie, had a struggle in his life. Now, this man had an impact on our nation because of his love for Christ and understanding his salvation in Christ. He forefronted the Jesus Revolution, but in that movie, his a bit of his struggle in his marriage, his struggle sometimes with his faith, we can all be there. He struggled with homosexuality, struggled with drug addiction. He died of AIDS. That doesn't make what he did or what he believed or how he tried to stand any less impactful. It just shows we are all human and we struggle, but God's grace is sufficient for us. The news to me this week is so impactful because it's a reminder that now you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have everything all tidied up and biblically accurate in order to come to the cross of Jesus. You just need to come. And I'm promising you, he works through and sorts out those things as you go. Now let's get into the awesome interviews. First, earlier I sat down with Max McLean, written, he's acted as C.S. Lewis in many regards on stage and in the film, The Most Reluctant Christian. Max, it's really good to have you with us today. The Most Reluctant Convert is really reaching a lot of people. I think it's part creativity, great acting, and a spectacular subject matter. I would almost say that you are the living expert at this moment on C.S. Lewis from all of your writing, all of your reading, and a lot of the acting. Has he really influenced this age as well as the age he was in is he continuing to make a difference in many ways i think he may have a greater influence now than he had then because he's uh, there was movies made about him there's incredible number of books of course there's so many scholars that that just dig into his works some people have said that most of the time the writer that dies his influence pretty much is gone after his death his his attorney asked him what he was planning to do with his literary status a couple of years before he died he says five years after i'm dead nobody'll read a word i write he was so wrong about that so i think his influence may be greater now than than it was even the past Perhaps we're in an age where logic seems to have thrown, been thrown out the window. And the movie masterfully weaves apologetics and logical conclusions into entertainment. And it's fabulous the way you do that. Maybe that's something that we crave today. 
I think so. Lewis did say people love to follow. Uh, our minds are structured to to follow an argument, and we enjoy doing it as long as we can follow it because we don't do it very much. And I think in our age, you can't get away from logic and inference. That's how our mind works. Even there, we may it may break down at some point, but even that is a calculated decision because you want something else more than that really thing where the logic is driving it. But we definitely, I think it's a, it, it, they say postmodernism, it's all, there's a logic to postmodernism that, you know, and it's anchor, it says every, every truth claim is a power play. How does he know that? There must be some sort of logical explanation for that. So it, you have to support every claim you make. So I think, and people are doing, that's why we have podcasts and radio programs and various other things to get your case across. What has C.S. Lewis influence most in Max? I guess in a certain way, what we've just talked about in the sense that he was, he had a steel trap mind that could, that he read everything from the Greeks to the moderns, had a steel trap mind to, that, that would remember everything he, he read. And he had this unusual ability to translate it into magnificent prose and speech. Mm. And then after he came to Christ, he did all of that under the headship of Jesus. For a Christian to have that kind of resource is such an encouragement. I think the power maybe in today is the, as we talked about how illogical we are and how emotion-based we are. It's really hard to argue with someone who is making their decisions based on pure emotion. And maybe what I also see in C.S. Lewis and in his life is that, yeah, there's a lot of logic and there's a lot of apologetics and intellect, but when it really comes down to it, the most persuasive argument is a God who loves you, is a God who is. Yes, but that's not obvious in the beginning. So you, God has to reveal himself in various ways. And a lot of times when he reveals himself, we don't notice. So there's a kind of two-part point of, about that. It, what I think Lewis does for us, though, is he helps us to see. And he connects the brain. He connects the mind. with. The, he recognizes that the heart will reject what the mind won't accept, ultimately. So he finds a bridge to both. To him... It wasn't like an either or, it was a both and. His heart informed his brain, his mind, and his mind informed his heart. And, and I think that's a very coherent personality that, uh, that we, when we see that in another individual, we really appreciate it. Thank you for this update. And thank you for those very things that we see in The Most Reluctant Christian, which is really taking off. If you haven't seen it, go and see it. Max, thanks for the little update and encouragement and encouraging you to watch the film. Thank you. Thank you very much. My Michelle Live Entertainment Review. A little behind the scenes in some of your favorite oh, movies even stage productions, and some of the things that just make you laugh. I have a woman who, oh, wow, what a background. Martha Bolton is my guest. I'm so glad to have you. Let me set the stage for our listeners and viewers. Martha is has been a nominee for Outstanding Achievement in Music and Lyrics of, for Emmys, a Dove Award nominee for Children's Musicals. She's an award-winning author and a Writers Guild Award for a nominee for her work in 
working with Bob Hope. Can you believe it? This is so cool. And his and the production of Bob Hope, the first 90 years, Martha was actually Bob's first full-time female staff writer. So a little bit of your background. That's just a little bit because I'd like to talk to you and not just spend all day talking about your awesome background. But so good to have you, Martha. Oh, it's great to be on your show. Oh, Martha, 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 what, what a background you have had. You have bolted through the glass ceiling for women. This is, you started writing comedy in a time where women didn't do comedy. In fact, it was a time when music, if you were a female music, men were writing your songs for you, (laughs) right? That must have been something... How did that happen? It just, I had started writing for different comedians and I was writing for Phyllis Diller and different ones and just, just word of mouth. I would get recommended and to the next one and the next one. And I wanted to get into script writing, television script writing. And I came across a gentleman by the name of Gene Parrott. And he was a staff writer for Carol Burnett show and Mama's family. And I had read his book and we had a a lot of similar things as far as our back was. And so I just wrote him a note and said that I enjoyed his book and that we had a lot in common and told him that I had written for Phyllis. He had written for Phyllis. And I got my start writing roasts for our pastors and different (laughs) comedy roasts like the Dean Martin roast. And he got his start (laughs) at his job writing roasts. He He then invited me down to Mama's family to see a show taping. And went down there and was it was great because it was one of my favorite shows. And then he challenged me to write a script for the show. I ended up writing two scripts and he he loved my work and then got it to the producer and it was moving forward. The producer called me, said he was going to call me in the next season. And unfortunately, it didn't get picked up the next season. I It got picked up later, but at that point in time, it didn't get picked up. So... He, he then said, would you like to write for Bob Hope? And I could not believe it. So I tried <laughs> out. How long did it take you to answer that question? Maybe <laughs> you, you had to pull yourself up off the floor first because what an yes, opportunity. Exactly. Well, I, yeah. Oh, I know. I know. Oh, my goodness. And then one night I sent him some material and sent it to Gene. He got it to Bob. And one night, 11, 1130 at night, I think it was, and got a call. And that was Bob Hope. And he, wow. Which 1130 at at night, this is the entertainment industry. That's not, that's not surprising. Exactly. (laughs) That's like, that's like lunchtime, right? (laughs) Yeah, that was, he was very, he would call us at all different hours at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. You just knew if the phone rang, you knew it was Bob Hope. That's amazing. So writing for Bob Hope, do you have anything that comes to mind that you remember writing that you were particularly proud of? I always enjoyed writing the tributes, like when different, Friends of his would pass away and we would have the opportunity to write the tribute for those. So I was always very interested in that and appreciated the opportunity to do that because it was part of my heart too, saying how much we would miss them. One of the tributes, I remember a line I wrote, it was for Lucille Ball and it was, thanks Lucille for making life a ball. So I thought that was, I was excited to put that down. But yeah, just different jokes. Whatever it was happening in the news, we'd get the call and every topic for a, t- for a television show, they'd be like 25 topics. And then you'd write 10 or 15, 20 jokes per topic. So 
there was one weekend, there were seven of us. And I remember one, we were getting ready for one show and for the monologue for the television special between us, we wrote something like 2000 jokes. So it was a lot of writing, a lot of writing to, and, to and pick your favorite really, as hard. But. It was really breaking through in a time where this was genre. Now people, there are statistics that say that people get a majority of their news from late night television and some of those jokes you had no idea probably that you were would be part of a trend that people would prefer to listen to people making light of our news than yeah. actually reporting it <laughs> i prefer it it's a lot easier to hear it coming from a comedian usually at least you can laugh about it and move on to the next topic yeah and what about some of the trends in comedy now though with a lot of political correctness, being easily offended. You're a woman of faith. So you have a history of balancing the line between being funny, but not being overly offensive. And comedy, when you started writing, you had a sense of, okay, that might be pushing the envelope a little too far. So you've already ridden that horse, right? What, do you, what would yeah. you say to, to people today? Because we're just offended about everything. Right. You know, you, you want to laugh. Laughter's good. God, God wants us to laugh. He gave us the equipment to laugh. I learned in writing the roast. I, it was a lot, of, it was great experience for me because I didn't want the guest of honor to be offended. Wow. And if you're honoring somebody, you really have to know the boundaries of what you can say and what you really shouldn't say because if the if your guest of honor goes out in tears, <laughs> you didn't really honor them. So you want to be funny. You want to know where you can joke, what places you can joke back to where they're enjoying it as well. And so you do learn those boundaries. But to be a comedian and to get the humor, you've got you've got to touch some places, and there are places where you can go and you could still be funny. And then you just don't, I don't like the meanness in common. I think yeah. you could just be funny and yeah. have a good time where everybody has fun. And yeah. you'd like to see it get back to that. It would be nice, but we have been pushing the envelope. <laughs> We've seen in the Grammys where you have like outright Satan worship. And you're like, Are, wait, what? <laughs> what yeah. am I watching here during the Super Bowl? Not a, not a bad performance by Rihanna, but a, a little crotch touching and then sniffing, which is like, what? Yeah, you just kind of shake your head and go, what's going on with entertainment? So it is really exciting to see faith-based productions take a whole new level in their quality of production, because I think you and I have both seen faith films go from, oh, gee, at least it had a nice message to <laughs> something that's really entertaining. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's time. We we have been at this a long time, so we should be elevating the quality. And on the comedy, too, getting back to that, I sometimes what passes for a comedian's material is really just statements. And okay. they'll just make a point where it's not a joke. It's not nobody's laughing. It's just their opinion. So it's not really. It's a different yeah. thing. Yeah, that's true. And there's something to um, just a statement. Right. You're, it's as though it's, so I'm making a statement, giving you something to think about. 
and then I tell a joke. So it makes it a little bit easier. It's it's like that spoonful of sugar that makes right. the medicine good. Exactly. You have to have the, if you're going to talk about the traffic, you can't just say that the traffic's horrible. That's a statement. That's not a joke. <laughs> Nobody's going to laugh. So I find that happens a lot politically and whatnot. They just make statements and rather than making a joke out of it, making people laugh about it. Right. It may be what, something we can learn and take away from our time today is, as you had mentioned, just not being mean, getting the meanness and the ugliness and trying to take, trying not to push the envelope so that we fall over the edge helps us to have conversation and to get a point across. Whether so, someone agrees with it or not, you can still laugh and listen, and maybe that will go a long way towards mending some fences. I did want to talk about the Confession Musical. That's one of your latest writing things that you've been involved in, and you've actually worked with Beverly Lewis's books before, correct? We have done it several times now, and she's in in that part of the discussion and whatnot, and for the confession, we took three books of hers. It's a trilogy and then adapted it to the stage, brought it to life on the stage. And obviously in three books, you've got to be selective of what you could put yes. up on to tell the story. You want to tell it in a visual way. And it was challenging, but but we had a great time and it, audiences seemed to love it. And we are very excited that now it's gone from the stage to where people can see it from all over the country, wherever they live. And we are in four theaters around the country, but if they can't make it there, or even if they have, it's a different experience to see it on the film. Yeah, it sure is. When you see like a Fathom production as to what this is, it it is been a trend in seeing more stage productions in theaters or for your home theater, which really, I think a lot that trend was brought to life even more during lockdowns and COVID yeah. because people were w- just wanting some kind of connection. Exactly. And, and there is something about stage productions that really break that fourth wall almost where you are feeling as though you're part of the production. There's something magical about it. And theaters, now that they're reopened, are just packed to the gills. I go multiple times a month to review them. And people are excited. There's a whole new generation of theater goers. Have you noticed that? Oh, yes. Yeah. And people are starving for that escape. And this uh, project and a film that they're going to just love getting away and escaping from the real world and just going into the, this story, which is a very moving story, but there's a lot of humor in it and supplied mainly through the talents of Shonda and John. Their characters are just wonderful as far as comic relief. And it's got a powerful message and we just hope people enjoy it. This is basically, this. the story is yeah, Amish child get is adopted and goes on the quest to find 
the birth mom who has has resources. She's got some money. And so you, <laughs> there's some interesting twists and turns to the story. There is acting. There is music. There is comedy. And it has all of the tenants for a great stage production. So you may want to go and see this wonderful production, whether it's in the movies. If you have a chance to see it live, go for it. But the confession musical is available and we'll give you more information on that. Final question, as a woman of faith, how do you interweave your faith with your writing in a way that it doesn't make people choke because you're like, okay, I've heard your faith enough. And we can do that. It can be like, okay, that is just so syrupy, sweet, over the top, in your face, Bible thumping. How do you do that? I think that's always been my style anyway. And I just, I like to put it to where it's realistically a part of life. And when life deals you hard things to go through, it's very, it's not me to not Think of it in terms of, okay, God, it's also, you want to pray, you want to do all that, but then to be real about the pain and the questions and all of that. So I like to balance that out because God is faithful. God is good. God will take you through it. But then there are, as your human nature is, yeah, but, yeah, but all of that. And I love to explore those real life human frailties when the only person we can lean on in the end is God. So I just love to, to go there. And I appreciate that because we laugh because we can relate. And mm. it rings, it, there's a ringing of truth there. You're bringing out something that we all know. And then you just have that aha moment. And you've been ahaing us for years. I love your work. And it has been such a delight to have you with me today. Thank you so much, Martha. Oh, thank you. Thank you. For more fun, go to MarmaJawLive.com.